0: Welcome, everyone, to that lonely cantina there at the top of the trees on Endor. That's right. We're back because, well, we'll always have Endor, and it's so great to be back in the 602 Club here. Uh, the Ewoks make a fine brew of ale, and I've got some wonderful gentlemen here to enjoy this conversation with me as we're going to be talking about Aftermath. I don't even know. Star Wars, Aftermath, Life Debt. Uh, yes. Okay. There you go. So I've got wonderful gentlemen. I just let everybody know who's here. John, I think you uh you, you jumped the gun there, but everybody knows you're here now.
1: I'm okay. sorry. Okay. I'm no, faster okay. than Usain Bolt on a, uh, you, uh, on a microphone. Uh, yes, My apologies. yes. You're
0: you're the fastest man in podcasting. So uh, <laughs> Bruce Gibson <laughs> How does is that also even here. Work? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe it just means you talk over
2: everybody.
1: So. Um, apparently i'm gonna let
2: john talk for me tonight
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm also bruce gibson (laughs) (laughs) you sound so much better (laughs) more intelligent oh man wait till we get further into this show kid gloves are off tonight i'm
0: uh gosh i'm so glad to be here with these guys It, it it feels like it's been a while since we have done a star wars show and it has um but um we got the brand new aftermath book to talk about, so I'm excited to jump into that with these guys. And we might have a surprise at the end of the show for you. So I think you're gonna want to stick around for that. But before we get into that, dive into that, of course, you can find the six oh two club and Trek FM all over the place. We're on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a featured provider there. Love being part of Trek FM. In fact, we just had our review contest, but you know what? If if you're on iTunes and you've never reviewed the 602 Club, hit us up with a star rating and review because it really does help us out. Uh, and I really appreciate everybody who's done that already. It means the world to me. Uh, we had so many reviews in the new review contest and I some of them, I, I thought there might be mist in my room or some sort of dust or something in my eyes. But yeah, some of them are really, really nice. So I really appreciate yeah, you guys. And You know, what I appreciate is that we don't ask for five-star reviews, but all the reviews there for the 602 Club are five-star reviews. So thank you so much. You can also find us on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. We've got the Babel Conference, the listeners only discussion group. Go to Facebook there, type Babel into the search field. And of course, if you're on the website at Trek.fm, you can click discussion on the menu bar and that'll bring you to that group as well. Of course, voicemails, love getting those. I would love to hear what you have to say about life debt. Send me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekfm, and of course, if you still enjoy writing long-form emails, go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to me and the other hosts. Guys, want to take you back in time to around the same time period last year. We got this new book called Star Wars Aftermath, and we had all been looking forward to it, and I, I know we all, in preparation, we did some serious homework. Not only did we read the book, but we all listened to that episode to kind of hear where we were. So I wanted to ask you guys, what surprised you about listening to that review back? And let's kind of place ourselves at the end of that review coming into this book so people kind of understand where we are coming from as we look at Life Debt.
2: I was surprised how sexy I sound. Um, uh, oh yeah. wait, no,
1: that was supposed to be the part I was talking. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was surprised how
2: sexy John sounded. <laughs> 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 no, when yeah, it's interesting that it's been a year. I hadn't really until I started listening to that episode. I realized, wow, it has been a year because we were even talking about the new movie coming out in a few months, and and there was talk that you know what. What are things about this movie that will affect the second book that the author doesn't know uh, while writing the first book? And it was our, we were looking at this book, the first book, as a gateway into the new canon. And I was surprised that I was harsher then than I thought I was. And you guys were less harsh than I thought you were when listening back on it. Cause I remember my memories of liking it more than you guys did. And I thought you guys were ripping it apart, but you were actually. You know, pretty fair and and even on it.
1: Yeah, I I'm gonna agree with you, Bruce. It it was surprising to listen back, and uh, I it, it's so weird because it, I think the same thing can happen with movies that as you mull them over more, your your opinion can shift a little bit. I think that uh, what played a lot into all of our reactions back then, and I think this is a consistent thread in what we were all saying in that episode was. You know, they didn't give him a lot of information. He's coming in as blind as we are. They gave him maybe, you know, a a sheet of information, and they said, you know, build around this, and he made his decisions. And so we we were not going after him based on his decisions. We were very much saying, you know what? This is just the first one out of the gate, and maybe this is setting the stage for a big number two coming down the pike. A big number two, huh? Yeah, I chose my words. (laughs) And uh, yeah, the and, intelligent you know, one. <laughs> no, but, you know, we, we, we were we were very much looking at it from from the perspective that we were um, expecting it to springboard into something bigger. And so I, I think that tempered our opinions at the time.
0: What I loved about listening back is is I, I felt like that that show was a good incubator for all that the 602 club is how we try to approach things we we want to be as positive we can on things but we also want to be fair you know um, same thing happened when uh, Tristan and I were talking about Suicide Squad just a a week or so ago you know we had things we liked we had things we didn't we wanted to be fair and give a good critique and I think uh, what we did in Aftermath it's 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 just par for the course for the 602 Club of trying to come at things the most positive way possible, but also got to give our honest opinion. We, we're we not going to lie to you if you don't like something, uh, but we're also going to try and tell you why we don't like it and how we change it. And so I loved listening back to that because I think it really sets the stage. We had an expectation that coming into life debt, things were going to be a little bit different for Wendig. You know, he was going to have some of the gloves taken off for himself. He's going to get a lot more opened up because Force Awakens will have come out. He's going to have a lot more to play with. Uh, You know, they're going to let him kind of do his thing. And so we just kind of wondered what that thing was. And we thought, hey, well, you know what? We feel like this guy's a decent writer. And we also feel like uh, there are places where we could see where this could have been better. So... Book two. This is really going to turn the course. We're going to love book two. That I feel like that's kind of where we were coming from.
1: And, and I think uh, additionally to back that up, wasn't wasn't Life Debt pushed back because Wendig saw Force Awakens and he said I have to adjust some things, or they asked him to push it back, or he like he basically asked for an extension on the deadline so that he could be more informed going into it. That happened, didn't it?
2: Yeah, they pushed that. Book back and also Bloodline. They gave both authors, right. authors more time to, I guess, revamp and change some things now that they'd seen the movie and gave them a little more time to work on it. That's what I understood. I don't know whether that's true or not, why it was pushed back, but it was pushed back.
0: Well, I remember that happening specifically for Bloodline, and I, I think we can all agree Bloodline was fantastic and really benefited yes. from having a little bit more time to, who knows what it looked like beforehand, but I think what we got was fantastic, and the way that it built into the world we would get in The Force Awakens was wonderful. So I think that's great to see. Now, what's interesting here, the original Aftermath book, one of the strongest points of the story was the Empire story, this Empire in Chaos And I have to say, I think that that continues into this story, where the strongest, for me, point of the storyline is watching the Empire struggle with the fact that they're not really the Empire anymore. They're like a third of an Empire. (laughs) And the way in which the Imperial leadership is still struggling on how do we regain control of the population and the narrative that no you want to join our side forget about the freedom and stuff you want to be over here where you know we control you centrally i we're going to we're, we're going to be the new socialist utopia
1: <laughs> well i you know i i do think that there is definitely more form given to the struggle of the empire because in the first life debt, it was everybody squabbling and then you know you find out that there was a, a major mover behind the scenes who had put everybody in place and was starting a liquidation of the problem assets for the empire. And so this definitely continues down that road. And I agree that the Imperial stuff here was very interesting. Um, I was surprised that the main baddie that we got the glimpse of in the first one I kept expecting another shoe to drop, maybe a name that I would recognize, maybe something that would seem to have tied into the movie um, a little bit more strongly. And even though that thread was still interesting through the book, it was... I don't know. I i would be interested to hear what anybody else thought. Like, when they went into the character's history, my reaction was, yeah, it's neat, but... Um, okay, yeah, I I see where you're going. Like, it just felt like it needed to be the, it felt like this book needed to be about all of the Imperial stuff, focused on that, which is sort of how I felt about the first one.
0: So let's just tell everybody, we all were speculating, okay, who is this character, is it? Is it going to be a Snoke? Is it going to be a Thrawn? Is it going to be any of those types of characters? No, it's none of those. It's, It's a new guy called Gallius Rax. And so nobody that we know yet until here. And he's kind of the puppet master behind everything that's going on in the Empire at this point. And a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes with the New Republic. He is kind of palpatining things. Uh, I think I just created a new adjective, uh, palpatining things. You know, when you're behind the scenes controlling everything. Yeah, you're not a puppet a master. Verb. You're sure, a palpatiner. Yeah. So, uh, and and I thought, you know, this this is kind of fascinating. This guy kind of has a little bit of some of the other characters we know. He's got a little bit of Palpatine. He's got a little bit of Thrawn. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I like this. And so for me, really strong addition to the Star Wars saga and really interesting to watch as the Empire tries to figure out how to gain control of the galaxy again. And one of the ways I thought that was so interesting, they're like, well, we just need better propaganda and we need to craft a narrative that helps control people whether it's true or not. And I was just like... All right, You guys know I love this theme because it's so relevant to today's society where truth doesn't matter. It's just what we tell people that matters. And if we say it loud enough and long enough, people will believe it. So if we just keep telling people that the empire is awesome and we do some altruistic things every once in a while, people
2: are going to love us again. They're going to be begging us to come back. I'm trying to remember he he said a line about uh, not truth, but fact, or was it fact and truth right. or something like that? Yeah, yeah, he that, actually that, says
0: facts are flexible. And these graphs do not point to the truth of which you speak, even if they do not precisely portray them. Yeah, they go on and and I just I love this idea that, it, it's not about facts and stuff. It's really not even about the truth. It's just what we want people to believe. So we just need sure. to get out there and tell them what to believe, and they'll do it because you know what? In the end, people are stupid, and they're just meant to be ruled. And I thought that was the interesting thing about the Empire is for them at the top, people are meant to be ruled and controlled. They, don't, they shouldn't have a say.
1: Yeah, I I mean but there there is that interesting split as well in the sort of the Shadow Council that um there are those who want to go back to uh, uh, you know the the empire's other known way which is crushing people underfoot. And so there is an interesting debate about and I think Rax is the one that really uh, uh gives focus to this of you need a blend of these things. You cannot rely on one or the other. They are both tools to you know, to an end. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of racks and the, and the machinery of, of it all and everything he put, the machinations he puts in place, there was this obsession with Admiral Sloan of being tested. And I just have to ask, did it feel a bit stretched by the end where every single sort of thing was, oh, well, this is another test. Oh, no, this is another test for you. Uh, you're not quite done yet. And it's This like, is another okay. test of
0: the emergency empire
1: system. This is only <laughs> like a test. That. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, am I on an island on that where I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, enough with the tests?
0: I hear what you're saying, and I really, I think there's a lot of validity there. Because by the time you get to the end and he kind of fully reveals the plan, you know, it does feel like a little bit tired like okay okay finally we're there we're at this point and right what what's you know if you've been paying attention to the book i think that it was kind of obvious what he's doing that he's maneuvering all of his the people that are going to stand in the way of his plan to be on the chopping block you know he's it's it's like he's got his empire little black book and he's just crossing off the names Slowly but surely. And I, I thought that was strong, but what was annoying is that if he has this person he thinks he should be able to use and to really be a part of his plan, it's like, after maybe two tests, let's get her in, you know? Let, let's let let's get her into the the inner circle there with you so that we can stop this, because that, that's just really frustrated by the end as well.
2: Yeah, I felt like he's manipulating uh the the empire to work in his way and and trying to ma- manipulate everybody to be on board with him but at the same time he's constantly manipulating sloan or testing sloan and it's a continuous test and i think his energy should be more in his objective with the empire than to just keep testing sloan uh and and if he doesn't trust sloan then he doesn't need her so I'd rather see him get rid of her than to keep testing her. So it got old, the testing, after a while. But I have to admit that I really like the name Admiral Rex. I'm thinking of changing my handle from Admiral Rex to Admiral Rex.
1: You do, and I will disown you. I will completely disown you. I will, you will, no. No, Admiral, Admiral Rex, wait a minute, maybe that's who he really is. Huh? Huh? Ooh. No, it's not. It's we, not, but one can dream.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That explains a lot about Bruce. Hmm.
1: Doesn't it, though? (laughs) It does. It's it's
0: starting to (laughs) unravel now. I think think that what we're saying, though, here, for the most part, though, is if there's one part of the book that we're all pretty unanimous on, it's that this stuff about the Empire is really good, and it's really fascinating. It reminds me almost as if it's an extension of some of the stuff that we got in Lost Stars, getting to see things from their perspective— and I really like that, because it kind of humanizes them in some ways, and it, it just makes them a more interesting villain, and to see the ways in which they're really struggling to come to terms with, you know, you. it's like when a, this is kind of going to be a weird analogy, but this... It's like if a church loses a really charismatic pastor, but there's nobody else behind them who's been doing the work, and then they just kind of flounder in the end. I don't know if a lot of people get that reference. or uh, Take any sports team. You know, If you build it only around one person, and then that person leaves the sports team to go to another team, and the team just kind of implodes in on itself, that's kind of how I feel like the Empire was. It's like Palpatine had built himself into the point where He's the Michael Jordan, but there's no Scottie Pippen. There's nobody else around him. It's just him.
1: I have I have an even better sports analogy and one that many people uh, across the country and the world will find appropriate is imagine what's going to happen to the Patriots when Bill Belichick leaves. It's going to uh, be can chaos. We talk it's about be...
0: the Patriots?
1: No, but I'm just saying he's <laughs> no, the I evil know, emperor kidding. over there in New England. Oh, you're right. The, yeah. you know.
0: no, it No, exactly. And so I, I think that makes for a really fascinating storyline, and I have to say that the thread continuing in here was really interesting now, I do have a minor quibble. Remember that black box that we were so excited to figure out what was in that black box? None of that comes into play
1: that's, in this that's book. an interesting point that's an interesting point Matt You're absolutely right that that black box that was yeah what well, or the holocrons right uh, uh, that that you had a problem with them being holocrons, but I have a problem with the fact that they were, oh, look, it's it's all of this stuff about where they're getting their funding. It's and tax it info. Nothing... Right. <laughs> oh, no. They raided the Rex IRS. <laughs> yeah. He didn't carry the one in his uh, withholding column. Um, and it's <laughs> Dang just- that,
0: Luke Skywalker. That's why he's missing. <laughs> the IRS is holding him. <laughs> now, the holocron
1: oh, wow. was used at the
2: beginning of this book, just briefly, when they were going to- I don't remember the guy's name now, but they were gonna get that imperial agent that left the yeah. empire they were they they used the information from the holocron to know how to get to him and how to yeah. how they found him so it was briefly yeah. briefly used in here
1: uh, i i i mean I gotta be honest that there were so many threads from the first one, and again li- when you know listening back to when we were reviewing it, we were very lenient on a lot of things like the interludes. Because we said, oh, well, you know, this will have some payoff in the next one, probably. This is all just set up. And I, I, you know, we we get we get the Mosaic crew back and everything. But, you know, so long as we're talking about threads that are sort of left open-ended or uh, I would say not not connected very well, we have an interlude in the first book where they set up that, what Han and Chewie are going to be doing. We're going to get our friends. We're going to race in. We're going to charge through, and we're going to, you know, free Kashyyyk finally, and we're going to get this done, buddy. And in this one, by the time we finally get back with them, it's all over. It all already happened.
0: Yeah, which is, I have to say, by the time you actually get to some Han in this book, we'll just talk about the story now. uh, Okay. Is... The fact that it's halfway through the book. Han doesn't show up. He has a brief cameo at the very beginning where he's talking to Leia. And then that's it for another, like, hundred pages. And you're halfway through the book, and you finally find out where Han is. And you realize, yeah, that whole part of that story is already over. Han and Chewie have gotten separated. Chewie's in a prison on Kashyyyk. And it's just like, the book's called Life Debt, right? Uh Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Why isn't the storyline about Han and Chewie? Why aren't they like the main characters here? Again, they're relegated to the back seat for no good reason. Like it Mm -hmm. almost seems like they're working overtime to not have Chewie or Han in the book very much. Like it it just, it irked me because it it seemed like the perfect setup in a great story to finally get, okay, we, we know from Legends line how, the Wookiees were treated and how bad it was for them. Like they're really going to bring that home finally in Canon, liberating the home of the Wookiees. And then it's, it's so truncated in the story. I just wanted to throw my iPad against the wall. I was so frustrated.
1: Uh, yeah, to- totally, totally with you on that. And in terms of, uh, you know, portraying their subjugation, uh, Wendig tries to, but he does it by way of an Imperial overlord who is such a sort of like hackneyed stereotype that like the character is so non-resonant. And that's that's one of I think one of the biggest problems. You're right. It's called Life Debt, but barely had like the first 30 percent of the book because reading on my Kindle, I didn't get page counts. So I just got percentages. The first 30 percent of the book, I'm sitting there and I'm wondering. Why is this even called life debt? What does this even have to do with life debt? Nothing. Nothing at all. Call it something else. Don't set my expectation like that. Um, but it, it's just, it's, I, I think that that sets the stage for this experience, this book, to be doubly frustrating and also to cause, I, I won't lie, cause me to go back and reevaluate the first book downward because of these story problems because I gave a break the first time around to the fact that it was supposed to be setting things up and then I experienced this book and I realized that no it's just that they were just left out there with no follow-up and now I'm seeing other interludes and other scenes where I know they're not going to get followed up and it's just it, it, the, the story is just disjointed it feels like there are two different books trying to happen here and I guess that impression is, is from the first one as well, where the story is split into two parallel tracks, but I, I understand that, you know, life is, you know, not always intertwined and everything like that, but you've got a book and the two storylines should seem to have something more to do with each other. You know, there, there should be some sort of more impact between the two of them.
2: Here's where I think the problem is, and and you said the word, expectation. That was the problem with the first book, and that's the problem with the second book. I think the publisher has built a certain expectation for these books. First book had Journey to Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm sorry, but a lot of these books that came out that time with that tagline were not really Journey to The Force Awakens books. They didn't really have much impact leading up to that movie hardly at all. The second problem with these books is how they're represented on the covers. Aftermath was somewhat of a disappointment because it looked like it was going to be the story following Return of the Jedi. It's not. These books are about Nora and her crew, just like Star Wars Rebels is about Ezra and Zeb and that whole crew. And so when I went into the second book, I ignored the fact that was called Life Debt. I forgot about what the cover's about. I just went in here going, this is going to be a Nora and her crew story. And I wasn't really expecting much of Han and Chewie. So actually, the book met my expectations, if not exceeded it somewhat, because I didn't expect to see as much Han as we got.
1: But see, it's not just the title Life Debt that makes me expect to see Han and Chewie. It's the fact that we had that interlude in the first one where they're setting up okay, Chewie and Han, we're going to go. It's going to happen. We're going to go back to Kashyyyk, and we're going to we're gonna wrap this up, and we're going to have an adventure going back. And instead, we wind up meeting up with them after it's all done, and uh, there are just references to... So th- there's this big gap now where I'm like, okay, so now you've purposely created this big gap that you didn't need to create because y- this is your book series. Obviously, you... If you're dealing with the aftermath of Han going to Kashyyyk, but it's your series, you can also show what happened that put them in this predicament. Because there's no other place for us to find it out. And I'm sorry, it's too much of a dodge to sit there and say, well, they can write another book to fill it in. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for this book series. I signed up for this story to be continuous and to go through. And that's what I didn't get.
0: I think the thing that that um, constructively I would say is it needs to be about focus, and we say this a lot on the show. Uh, I think in the six hundred two club, if you listen to it long enough, you'll hear this a lot from me. There's not enough focus. There's this kind of strange uh, bipolarness to the book, where uh, and and schizophrenicness to it, where you're just kind of jumping around from place to place to place, but you're never settling and focusing. Enough on one thing to allow that story to grab hold of you and carry you forward. There's no really good narrative theme throughout either of these two books to really get you to any kind of place. You know, Bruce, I agree with you. If the storyline is about Nora and her crew, then make it about Nora and her crew and forget about all this other stuff in a lot of the same way that you do with uh, Claudia Gray's Lost Stars. That story is about those characters that she creates and everything else is just periphery, Um, you know, and, and that's not what's happening here. It's like there's this hodgepodge of like trying to have it both ways, but it's not working because you're not servicing Nora and her crew. You're not servicing... Uh, Han, Chewie, Leia, Mon Mothma, Wedge, and all these other great characters—you're not really servicing anyone. You're just—you're—you're you're doing a disservice to the reader because they come away, I think, overly frustrated with not getting a full story. You know, I—I because I, I get what he's trying to do. You know, kind of setting up the stage for what the universe is like that leads to what we get in the Force Awakens. I get the thing about we're giving you these tastes of what becomes the Knights of Ren uh, in those interludes. I get that we're, you know, getting to that place where Leia is on one side and most of the Senate's on the other. You know, I, I get this idea that the Empire itself is seems to be pulling itself apart on purpose, creating its own internal civil war, so that they can go do the thing that they're going to do, which is to become the First Order, hide away for 30 years, not be seen, and then come back, you know, da-da, bigger than ever. And I see all that stuff, and I just realized people are going to call me out uh, because, you know, I can see what they're trying to do, but yet the execution, I think, here is very, very poor. And there isn't enough character or themes to truly pull me forward. And everybody who knows the show, listens to me, knows me, character, themes. Give me those things, I'll forgive you a lot of stuff.
1: That That is, uh, I'm glad you said theme, because that is very specifically something that is a note that I took, something that I wrote down. I asked myself the question, what is the theme of this? And it's, I, I know, I don't think a theme is setting the stage for, you know, c- Condition of the Galaxy, what is the theme? What is the point of what I'm experiencing right here? And through the whole book, I struggled with that. And I think that speaks, Matt, to what you were saying about the lack of focus, that there is a, it's just a disjointed experience. And, like, the, the, the book would have really, really benefited from just... I think, I don't know what, what, would another extension have helped. I, there's no need to rush this at all. You know, that was something we talked about with the first one too was, Oh, well, we got to get this book out and you know, what we're leading up to the force awakens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't know too much yet. And now here we know more. Well, I mean, like what, what is the point now even of releasing this one? Because this isn't, really doing anything to further the story. I would point to a book like Bloodline for that That furthers the story while having focus and a theme and presenting these periphery things. Like if you want to treat Han like a periphery character, there's an example for you right there where he's in it and you sort of know what he's up to and you know that there's this situation and things aren't quite working the way you expect them to. Whereas with this... He's just sort of like thrown in there because it's like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, we got to have the Wookiee thing because we promised it. And it, like it just feels slapdash.
2: Yeah. I mean, I agree to some point. I mean, I thought the characters were more developed in the first book and I thought they were less in this one. Um, I mean, listening to you guys talk about it, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, it didn't affect me as much and maybe cause I went in with low expectations I, or maybe no expectations at all, but I found it, I found it to be a fun read. I actually enjoyed it. I liked it better than the first book because I felt like as you were talking, uh, Matthew about the empire, I felt like we were getting more of that. We were getting more meat. The first book I felt like was setting it up. Because they were all talking about the, you know, different factions and where they go. And now we see them actually in play. So that I was interested in. And I didn't miss seeing Kashyyyk. And like I said, maybe because I wasn't expecting it. It's almost like episode two and three. You end episode two saying you're going the Clone Wars and then you get episode three and it's already over. Well, where was the Clone Wars? You didn't even touch on that. Uh, if you just looked at the movies alone. But I, I see what you're saying. It's like, it, I guess the word pale comes to my mind everything just seems like a pale representation of really what they're trying to get to
1: uh and i think that there's also a pale representation of because we've mentioned they bring back the you know the characters and we've mentioned han han in specific drove me nuts in this book because the dialogue coming out of han solo's mouth didn't sound or read like han solo It sounded like I have a character that needs to relay this this, uh, exposition and Han is there. So Han is going to have this big dialogue and it's or excuse me, monologue. And it was frustrating to me because you need if you're going to bring in these characters, you have an obligation to make them sound like them, even if they're at a different point in their life. Han's at a different point in his life in The Force Awakens, but he still sounds like Han. Yes, some of that has to do with the fact that, Han, that Harrison Ford knows how to deliver the lines, but it's also how they uh, and wrote And Larry the
0: Kasdan lines. is writing Han, and we've got right. to admit, Larry Kasdan probably writes the best Han out there.
1: But there you go. You have to respect that. And even if you can't write it as well as Larry Kasdan, you at least have a template of three movies where you can sit down and you can say, so how does Han Solo speak? And that is important. That's really, really important to get right. No, I I think you're exactly right, John,
0: because when you were talking about these old characters being back in the book, like Han, Leia, Chewie, Wedge, Mon Mothma, we get more of them in this book than we did before. They are more active players in the story. They're not just interludes. And I think that is the most important when you're writing tie-in fiction. And and Bruce, you know this too, because we both read Star Trek books, Star Wars books. We uh, do literary treks. We comment when we don't feel the voices for characters coming through. You know, I'm reading uh, right now because we're going to be talking to David Mack on our uh, newest literary treks and reading one of his books about the original series crew. I hear... Those characters, I hear Kirk, I hear Spock, I hear McCoy, I hear Sarek. None of the characters there. When I, I I can hear the actors' voices saying the lines, because it sounds so much like them. It sounds like something they would have said in the show. I'm I'm with you. I didn't recognize Han or Leia in the story at all from the dialogue. It just didn't feel or sound like them. It sounded like pop culture ideas of what they think Han and Leia sound like, but that's not really what they sound like. And and part of that, I think, is is that to get Star Wars dialogue right, it needs to come off snappy, and it needs to feel like a 1940s serial. No matter what you're writing, whether it's Clone Wars, whether it's Rebels, whether it's the books, that's really where the dialogue comes into play. Those are the kind of monologues you should get. Everything like that, it needs to feel like one of those kind of stories. And when you do it right, uh, it's golden. When you don't, I just like, I'm not reading Han or Leia. I know it says it's Han and Leia, but it doesn't feel, it Chewy sounded okay.
1: <laughs> well, at the very least, we know that one character was snappy, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm dropping the mic and dropping out now.
0: Oh, oh gosh. Um, let's, let, w- let's save that. Uh, because I do want to talk about some of the other older characters before we kind of jump back into Nora and her crew. I wanted to talk about Mon Mothma in this book because I think, what is her deal?
1: She she seems like the
0: worst... How did this woman read the, lead the rebellion is what I want to know because... The woman I see in the Rogue One trailer does not feel like this woman. And maybe it's, you know, four years of war changes her big time. But this woman does not seem to understand that she's still at war. You, you can't pull out before the job is done. You know, she like, also
1: doesn't feel like she could lead anybody. No, any, she doesn't. She couldn't lead a contingent of people to the grocery store in this book.
0: No, because they just keep bickering about what cereal to get, and she just trying to keep make peace.
1: <laughs> and she was like that Maybe in the we'll,
2: first book too. She was because it wasn't yeah. that one. She was just like, oh, you know, we're not going to fight. We just want to be peace. We just it's like it's like you're saying we're still in a war. Mon Mothma yeah. is a hippie. Pretty much. <laughs> That's Power kind cow. of what she sounds like.
1: <laughs> Save us Rogue One. I
2: swear Save. I saw her at
1: Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> it's the long flowing robe.
0: And and I a part of me likes the thematic element there of the idea that war grates on you and it can create people that want to again, craft a narrative that we don't need to be in war anymore. We just need to get out before the job is done. Like, it's almost as if she's forgetting what she's fighting for because she's started to become the mathematician. That's why they haven't gone to Kashyyyk, because the numbers didn't play out. Uh, you know, like we've stopped helping people and doing what we're really supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be out there liberating the galaxy, giving them freedom. But we've stopped doing that because it's not really in our best interests anymore to go to Kashyyyk. It, it could cost too many lives, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it just sounds like a long litany that we've heard in the United States a long time about certain issues. Uh, it, it just feels very familiar, but I don't expect it to be coming out of Mon Mothma's mouth. Like, I don't expect her to be this character. And and what I'm frustrated by is I feel like you're actively destroying a character, which I loved in the original trilogy. I, I loved the character of Mon Mothma. I thought she was... She had such a mystery about her, you know, and everything. And then, you know, seeing that Rogue One trailer, I'm just like... Uh, th- th- her she has a presence. She feels like a strong leader, you know? uh. Right.
1: You have, you have to believe that this woman had the stones to stay in the Imperial Senate while managing a secret rebellion against the guy that she saw in the Senate, you know, however, however many days she was in session, right? She was going and she was in the same chamber as Palpatine while, you know, playing a rebellion behind him. With Bail Organa, that does not convey in this book at all. I do not, I do not buy it. And that is, I think that is what doesn't resonate. Because, you know, Mon Mothma gets, you know, what, two seconds in Return of the Jedi. And it's kind of like, oh, who is that? And, you know, everything's been backfilled since. But at the same time, what we know about her we don't even need to know her in a previous film. Like you can't possibly sell me on the idea that this woman would have engendered the loyalty for people to spend years throwing their lives up against the Imperial machine. You know, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at this person and think, Oh, well yeah, you know, I I go to war for her. Sure.
2: I think she's in there to represent the weakness of the new Republic. And I think that's what, the author is doing with her i don't think he's actually staying true to what we know of the character and what we're seeing in the rogue one trailers i think he's just saying okay this is the character to represent that weakness in the new republic that the empire's pointing to which is fine do that
0: just don't do it with mon
2: mothma right
0: it'd be right. like have it be an it, advisor of hers Yeah. it'd be like a, a a historical fiction writer taking churchill and turning him into this it just it, it 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 destroys the the person and the character that which we all kind of know her to have to have been to do what she did it's not even like we had to we created in our minds something and now it, the expectations just not being met it's the only thing that makes sense for this character right. in the job that she had than the one we knew she had from what lucas gave us and it just it doesn't make sense and so Um, I have no problem with showing us the weakness of the New Republic, because they do a great job of that, uh, you know, through Bloodline and some of the other works, uh, you know, when you read that in conjunction with, and watching The Force Awakens and you see where Leia is, great stuff, no problem with that issue. The fact that it's Mon Mothma, I would much rather it be a contingency within the New Republic that is pushing against her and Leia, and... It being that she's just getting too old for this bleep, you know, and she, she kind of passes it over to Leia to, to continue on the fight and Leia kind of loses out. I would love that to be the story because that makes so much more sense. And it's not character assassination of, of someone that. I it, What's What's frustrating to me and what I'm really mad at is that it's coloring my thought process going into Rogue One. Because this is canon. So that pisses uh, we've, me off.
1: We've talked about that, Matt. It's canon only if you want it to be.
0: Ah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, We've been saying we loved the Empire stuff in the book. Still really good. Solid stuff. That's about a third of the book. The 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 storyline with, with Han and Chewie really got frustrated on that, most of us. Uh, Bruce, uh, you weren't really expecting them to have a big part, but... So we're teetering there. Uh, We get back to this Mosaic crew, uh, as I call them here, uh, Wexley's crew. And when did this turn into, like, a really bad CW show with a lot of bad melodrama? Like, you know, uh, the Jazz and Jom, you know, shacking up every five seconds, you know, violently.
2: Uh
0: norma and wedge having their little you know like will they won't they there are they ross and rachel of the star wars galaxy (laughs) I, i mean um and and then you know you got snap who gets his name because apparently he snaps his fingers like his daddy did uh and wedge thinks it's cute to call him snap so thank you wedge for naming snap wexley
1: Thank you, Chuck Wendig, for making me dislike a character who's simply an X-wing pilot in The Force Awakens. Um, you know, I would, uh, I would offer I, that is a great way to uh, to sum it up to say that it's become like a CW show because the entire thing driving everybody is basically like getting laid, and it's like, well, what? This is not what you're. This is out of what? This doesn't make any sense. On top of that, the whole cliche, I'm going to attack the cliche here of, oh, they're throwing punches at each other, and now they've fallen back into the room and the door closes, and womp, womp, oh, that's not punching I'm hitting. Like, what? That's that—that's crazy, and it, it's unnecessary. I think that it it spends, it wastes time uh, by, you know, like, the it takes away... Uh, character i think bruce Bruce, you said it earlier uh while we were talking tonight like it takes away some of the forward momentum that the characters had by the end of the first book they seem to sort of just become sophomoric and childish they they seem to regress in this book i like these characters
2: in the first book i wasn't in love with them but i i did find them bit interesting nor i I never found interesting but the rest of the cast i did but then in this book i just i i felt like they went nowhere i didn't feel like there was really any growth to them i didn't feel like they've really come very far uh you know maybe timon is you know a little older but that's that's as far as i can give him jazz actually or jazz i guess is their name jazz Jass, I liked more in this book. I thought she was given even uh, as much to do as she had maybe in the first book. Uh, John having the relationship with him made her even a little more interesting, but yeah, it was a little awkward and, and weird at times, some of the things they introduced in here. It sounds like this room does not like CW shows, the way you're talking. Yeah. Hey, I oh, love Arrow slash, <laughs> and Slash uh, and
0: the you know Legend of Tomorrow, and I like Supergirl. I have no problem with that. What I'm saying is, it was like the worst of a CW show. It felt like we're watching you know some sort of uh, Vampire Diaries crossed with Seven Heaven.
1: Uh, th- you know what? Wait a minute. Maybe this was Dawson's Jedi.
0: Dawson's huh? Jedi. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it could be uh, uh,
1: Kashyyyk's Creek. Oh, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> that that Okay. Again, Lucasfilm, we're available. Okay. We will work cheaper than anybody else. Come on. Come on by.
2: Yeah. I mean, just put us on Dave Filoni's team. We're winners. Yeah.
1: We can make it work. We can make it well,
2: work. Well, it's funny you're saying it's like a CW show because when we read Lost Stars, which is a young adult novel, that should have felt like a CW show more so than this novel did because this is for adults. Thank you. And what was so great
0: there is that the melodrama worked in the same way that Han and Leia's relationship worked in Empire. It was the same kind of thing. They were able to craft it in a way so that it didn't completely take over the entire story, but it was an important element. And there was so much else going on. Here, it's just like, again, Norma and Wedge with this kind of strange flirtation. Okay. Uh, whatever, you know, uh, she doesn't have a baby daddy anymore and, and her boy doesn't have a daddy and uh, maybe Wedge will be the new daddy and, and, and oh, wait, wait, we bring back her husband but he's crazy and shoots Mon Mothma and it, it's just like, it it felt like a really bad soap opera. So Wedge like has a He's not dead but he, yeah, he's not dead but now that he's back, he's actually been brainwashed by the Empire! You know what I mean? It just... Next time on As the Death Star
1: Turns. Well, hey, think about the long-term planning involved in the fact that her husband was kidnapped while the war was going on, yet they brainwashed him while he was in suspended animation in Kashyyyk to assassinate people if the New Republic ever took them back or something. I mean, I get. I, I know that like he's got the meeting with the guy and everything. Like... It's so it was so unnecessary to bring him back. It it, it was I think it speaks to, again, all of the problems we have sort of hit on throughout throughout, you know, this conversation where it was just a forced choice that didn't play. It didn't work. It was it was a bad impulse to follow. And, you know, if you're going to develop the wedge thing, develop the wedge thing, give it some weight. Which I think speaks to another criticism from earlier in the show of wh- where I think you said, Matt, like you're not given enough time to like latch on to these new developments. You can't get there because oh, okay, well they're going to develop this relationship with, oh, and the guy's back and he's in a set. What? What's going on? And it's it just contributes even further to that disjointed experience.
2: I think you're right with the word weight. It just doesn't have the weight. It's like it. It just. The meat isn't there. It's like, it could go there, it could happen, but it's, just, it's like I said earlier, it's just everything pales into what it's, to me, what it's supposed to be. It just doesn't reach all the way to, to that, that grasp of weight.
0: You remember those uh, chocolate bunnies you, you would get at Easter and you'd bite into it and it's hollow? Yeah. That's what this feels like, is one of those hollow (laughs) chocolate bunnies where you've put a nice facade out there. It had a a nice wrapping. The foil looked good. You took the foil off. You got to the chocolate you bit in, but then there wasn't anything in the center. And it just made you wish you you had a Milky Way. What's frustrating here is that there are some great things that are happening. Uh, in that that cover and in that that first layer of chocolate, you know, the Empire stuff here is really good, really interesting. We're, we're talking about some really great themes, you know, uh, and we're hearkening back to some great things in history, uh, you know, of people trying to get their Empire back. And, you know, you kind of think about what some of the conversations might have been between World War I and World War II in Germany and how they move forward and that kind of stuff. Great stuff. Uh, You know, some of the interesting things that are happening with the New Republic, Uh, even though I don't like what's happening with Mon Mothma, what I do like is the questions that it's bringing up about, you know, how do you finish a war well so that it wins the peace for the most amount of people? And what do you become after that? You know, what do you replace an empire with? Great questions. But what happens is is that it it stays hollow. There's nothing that's filling in those wonderful gaps that we're creating here again in this story, which makes, as you said, John, you're feeling like, oh, I need another book to explain the book, and that's right. that 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 needs to not. If I've said anything about this new canon, is that you need to make me feel like that I. I was rewarded by reading it because it felt important. And this is only half a plot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No worries, we're still driving half a plot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's a frustrating thing because, you know, we get to the end of the story and we kind of get an even further background of Rack's And this final mystery is dropped on us that revolves around Palpatine and Jakku and something very important in the sands of Jakku underneath that planet somewhere. And it is kind of a really cool, it's it's a great mind-blowing thing. You're like, what? You know, I mean, that's the stuff. That's the mythology. That's the thing, like, John, you and I have complained sometimes about Rebels. Love that stuff, you know? Give us that the stuff that's really important that connects to Palpatine and all this stuff and it's connecting to Jakku. So it's making that, I mean, but instead we're, you know, mm-hmm. stuck on Kashyyyk's Creek and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. she keeps right. climbing into Pacey's window and, and, and you're bored, you know, like, <laughs> cause, cause that mystery to me, again, that kind of hooks me to want to go to that third book, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's there, but do I trust that it's going to get paid off because I've, you know what I'm saying? What do you guys think about that final mystery?
1: Well, I can tell you that it was very cool to think, oh, so wait a minute. Jakku has an importance after all. That's interesting. Okay. So, you know, we've got the this sort of thematic thing going of, okay, you know, it's not... Just happenstance; it is once again the force directing things to happen at a certain location. All right, I can buy into this. Obviously, I've been a Star Wars fan, and this is a recurring thing: is that the force brings everything to nexus points and everything like that. It leaves it again at the point where I, you know, it's once bitten, twice shy. I, I can't, I can't put any faith into the fact that that's actually going to pay off other than you're going to find out that like Palpatine buried his favorite robe there or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, he just, you know, what you was know, in the
0: black box? Holocrons full of uh, mob data and, and right. you know, tax returns. You know what? What's on Jakku uh, Palpatine
2: dropped a slipper there. He really likes. Right, yeah his slippers. No, <laughs> so, yeah. no, they go yeah. back and they pull the box out and they open it and it's empty. And they said, there's nothing in here and the emperor says no it's my new clothes the emperor's uh, new
1: clothes. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah you know what and uh, yeah they they go and they say oh palpatine buried his treasure here and they open the chest and it's a little note that says my treasure is in every imperial heart oh and gosh there you go.
0: <laughs> oh man okay um yeah I, you know i i don't know uh I, and i I'm trying to stress here throughout the show is that we came in very hopeful for the book. Uh, we 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 cut a lot of slack to the first one. Uh, I think we we were very fair to that. And and the problems that we're having here are structure related. They're the uh, choice related to the characters and the storyline, and just too much crammed in, but not enough substance. You know, uh, and what we want is quality not quantity of story here and so it's like i some of the stuff should go you know cut out those interludes and just you know spend those five or you know probably 20 pages you get with interludes maybe less put those towards other story elements you know cut out some of the melodrama give us some more meat on the bones and i think that you really could have shaped this story into something interesting, because as we said, the Empire stuff's interesting. There's some great stuff going on with the New Republic, and you had a fantastic story to tell with Han and Chewie. You know, and and find a way to get Han and Chewie linked up with Nora's crew because they're they're the only one. I mean, they're kind of like that Rebels crew. You know, uh, perfect fit for Han and Chewie to go do their thing on the Kashyyyk. I don't understand why the story had to do what it does, where it's like we push Han and Chewie to the side, but then the the storyline for Norma and her crew is really not all that interesting. Um, you know, make them interesting by letting them interact with these legends, so that they can become legends themselves. The same way the Rebels' crew has become that by interacting with legends like Ahsoka and Tarkin and Vader, and 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 making them people that you're like. Starting to really love, and I, and I think that's my frustration with this. And so I want to ask you guys uh, before we get to our surprise,
2: what do you rate life debt, Bruce? I rate it higher than John's. Whatever that's. Going well, to we be. don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, so this is like the Price Is Right of ratings. You're going to see what I bet, yeah. and then you're going to go up by one star. Just, I gotcha. Just one dollar. I had so, one dollar. So John goes one dollar, and stars. you're like
2: two dollars. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll give it real quick. So the first book I gave three and Mm. you know, hmm, I, when I read this one, I felt like I enjoyed it more, but now that we're talking through it, I I mean, I, these things that were problems I did notice, but it also makes me think back in the first book about there were problems in there. And, but I felt like the characters I liked better in the first book, but I liked the story, I guess. Or what was going on with the galaxy and 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 them dealing having to go to Kashyyyk. I liked seeing that. So there was more familiarity with characters and places in this one. So I like that. So I'm gonna say I feel probably about the same. Maybe just liking it a little more. I'll give it three. Three point two five snaps.
1: Nice. That's definitely higher. <laughs> and look, I look, I I. Everybody should know, I I am, as you guys are, a host here on Trek FM, I do come into things, I give everything a fair shake, I honestly do, and I don't like, you know, ragging on things or being negative, I legitimately do not, I promise you, but I can honestly tell you that if I'm being straight up with this, if I were to freeze my initial review of the first aftermath in Amber and say it's two and a half and not revise it based on, you know, further reflection or anything like that. I cannot honestly give this book even that. And I hesitate to give it a rating at all because I will sound harsh or harsher than, than is the norm or something like that. But I have to honestly say that this was so dissatisfying for me that it was basically like living a flashback of why I stopped reading the original EU because I got tired of getting into a book and being frustrated and having to treat it almost like a comic book where, well, this issue might not have been good, but it'll be redeemed by issue 57 or Oh, Spider Man's a clone. Never mind the last year that happened. It's all gonna be better now. And I can't I can't do that. And so I would just say that if I were asked my honest opinion about this, I wouldn't even give it a star rating. I would just say I do not recommend reading this. If you want to find out any key plot points that happened, go on Wikipedia and they'll spoil it for you there.
0: I, I like that, John. I, I like the idea of saying, you know, I just I I'm not going to recommend this to people. It's not worth it. And I'll say for me, because of the experience that we had with the original Aftermath, um, I got that in hardcover. It's on my shelf still. I didn't get this in hardcover, I just bought it in ebook. I will definitely be buying the second one in ebook because it's cheaper. Uh, I'll read it because I'll cover it for the show, and I'm hoping that somehow it'll be better than this. Unfortunately I don't have high hopes. I'm gonna be like Bruce going into that third one. I'm gonna have no expectations. I'm just gonna go in, read it, we'll see what happens. But you know, if my original rating, uh, you know, I I, I said my Goodreads rating is three stars, but I said it was probably more like two point seven five. This is I this is a two. Straight up, it's a two. I have themes here that I like. In, in some ways, but they just don't play out. I have some storylines that I like. They're just not playing out. And unfortunately, the characters that I'm supposed to mostly focus on have become characters I don't want you to focus on. And then when you focus on the characters that I do want you to focus on, they don't sound like the characters that I know. And so uh, there was a real frustration for me with this book, and I hate that. I hate when that happens. But I just want to be honest for you guys. You know, I love Star Wars. I wouldn't be reading these books. I wouldn't be doing this show and talking about it. John, and I wouldn't do aggressive negotiations. We didn't love Star Wars. It Has nothing to do with any of it. I just I think we have some legitimate frustrations with the storyline, and I hope other people like it. If you love it, more power to you. That's fantastic. You know, it, it's just it's not something that you know for me a two star rating. Pretty much, I'm not recommending that you read it either. It, this one just you know go read Bloodline again. Go read Lords of the Sith again, New Dawn. I, the list is is great here with some of these new books we've had, but this is just not on there.
1: Uh, you know, that I, I do want to draw attention to something that uh, really sets 602 Club and the whole philosophy of this network apart, and I think it's key, and you said it. You said, if you do like it, more power to you. And I think that's key. Please couch the criticisms that we bring or you know our disappointment with it that it's it's our experience i might not recommend the book but you might say you know what forget you john i'm going to listen to bruce he says it's a 3.25 i'm going to read it and you come out and you say this is a five-star book it's fantastic it's the best thing i've read in years okay that's great like we're not we're not in the business of dragging you down if you did like it and i just i wanted to applaud you for pointing that out matt because that is sort of the driving mission is that even if we don't like it we're not telling you that our opinion is going to be your opinion we're just we're just being honest with you
0: definitely
2: and that's how i feel about uh, i was just going to say there's a uh, author that wrote star trek books back in the 90s that i didn't care for and just could i always had to struggle getting through those books but i knew other people that loved them and i just couldn't understand cuz i couldn't get through them everybody's just different you know if some people like things and other people don't and this one we were not thrilled with this one some some here hate it from what i can tell but you know it's you're yeah anybody can pick it up and love it well i i want to ask you guys about something that
0: i think if i had to have you rate that we would be unanimous in saying that we loved. And uh, we, we don't do trailer shows here anymore on on the 602 Club because it's not really worth it because the movie will be out in a few months and it, this show, you wouldn't want to listen to a trailer show. But I did want to ask you guys, since we're covering Star Wars, we're covering Life Debt, we've got a wonderful new trailer. That's right, I just gave it away. A wonderful and fantastic, a brilliant Colossal, amazing trailer for Rogue One, and so I want to ask you guys, man, how did how did you feel watching this in just spectacular trailer?
1: I want Bruce to go first because Bruce was at Star Wars Celebration London, you lucky dog, and so you got to see this before Matt or I did. What was your reaction seeing it there? And what was what what did the crowd feel like? What was the reaction of the crowd like? I can only imagine because I know what my reaction was to it, but I'm dying to know that experience from your point of view.
2: You want to know the experience of real star Wars fans that go to celebration. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
2: No, um, this, the trailer we saw and I can't remember detail because we only saw it once, you know, you couldn't watch it over and over again it wasn't this trailer and it was a much shorter trailer and really, Yes. I mean, it, oh. this, the trailer we saw, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, w- I would say maybe it was a minute long. I, I don't think it was as no. long as this one. It did show uh, a brief glimpse of Darth Vader at the end, similar to this, but it wasn't this same shot. It was a, a different shot. This was actually a closer shot of Vader. Uh, the trailer at Celebration also started off showing a young Jin, uh, which I have yet to see anywhere else. This trailer, though, felt like a full trailer the other one at celebration had some other scenes that were similar to other things we've seen before but this one was a full trailer it's, it felt like it had a beginning middle and an end to it and i like this trailer a lot better than what i saw at celebration
1: europe okay okay that's that's fair enough uh, i mean I, I think matt gave away how he feels about it i i can tell you that um the the thing i've been saying repeatedly is upside down death star is the best death star yes I it is that simple shot, that one shot alone. And Matt, I think I said this to you in a conversation we had uh elsewhere. That one shot alone speaks to me that Gareth Edwards came in and said, "You know what? I am going to innovate a little bit and I'm going to show you what you already know, but I'm going to just make it a little bit different. I'm going to make it I'm going to tweak things so that it feels fresh and new like It's almost like a mirror episode of uh, Star Trek where the costume is off by just a little bit. And so, you know, it's something special. It's something new. It's a twist on things. And that upside and I know it seems so weird to go on and on about it. But that upside down Death Star shot is I have it as a screensaver because I, I just love it. I know how strange it sounds, but that trailer that that shot embodies that whole trailer to me of just this beauty of, oh my gosh, this is somebody coming to this with a real unique point of view who also understands and respects what came before. I can't wait to see this movie now. Like, I am dying to see this movie.
0: The, the, the thing that really got to me about watching this trailer, and, and I think everybody who listens to the show knows how much I love the Clone Wars series, and... To me, this felt like one of those arcs, specifically the Onderon arc, come to life. It feels like something that Lucas would have created, but it's not Lucas, it's Gareth Edwards. And he's bringing it to life. Uh, It feels like that extension that that, uh, we get with Dave Filoni and what he creates. I feel the Lucas flowing through this film already and to me that's magic this feels more star wars than episode 7 ever did to me in the trailers uh, i just it, i feel it and part of that is the like you were saying john the innovation the different in the look i've seen that before but this is from a different perspective the classic obi-wan thing a different point of view we're we're giving that all to you in this movie already and what blew me away is that I'm really wondering if that planet, that Star Destroyer is hanging over, is Onderon. Because yeah. it, it, it looks like the city, with the huge walled city. Um, it looks like the more rocky part that we got at the end of that arc. And it would make sense for Jin to want to meet up with this, you know, rebel... Uh, whose planet is is finally being crushed by the Empire because it's a it's a seed of rebellion, you know, from Vader himself. And can you imagine Vader having to go back and put the, the stamp down on this planet? And it's his fault that this started? Like, to me, all these things are running through my mind. I love it. I love it. I, I mean, I don't think we need a ton of speculation other than to say this movie just looks fantastic, and I cannot wait for Rogue One... And what I'm really excited about is the next two Star Wars books that we'll talk about that are coming out. We've got Ahsoka, the book coming out about her after the Clone Wars, and Catalyst, the prequel book to Rogue One, which I think is great, by James Lucena. So I'm really excited about those, and I I will look forward to having you guys back for that. I love talking about this stuff with you. Thank you so much for joining us here in the 602 Club. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I feel like we just have the best listeners ever. Um, I really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for everything you do. We can't do this without our associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson. Fantastic guys. Love them so much. And we can't do this without listeners like you supporting the network. There's just no way we can support all the shows we do higher in the network without you. So go to patreon.com slash and see how you can become part of the team and help make sure that all of this comes to you each and every week. Bruce, man, thanks so much for, for being here. And uh, yeah, before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you online and, and tell you how much, you know, they love life debt or uh, you know, where, you know, you might've been wrong on some things.
2: What, me wrong I, I can't imagine um no wait i am john points it out all the time so <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on twitter at admiral underscore rex yes it's still rex not Rex, admiral underscore rex and you can find me on literary treks with matt and also with dan gunther and you can find me with riley blanton and mark hurleman on the star wars report where we talk about star wars and maybe we'll talk about life Debt. who knows John,
0: I mean, uh, where can we find you? Especially if people want to tell you where you
1: were wrong. If that's possible. Uh (laughs) Oh, that's just funny. Uh, You can find me at Kessel Junkie. Twitter's mainly where I hang out, but look for Kessel Junkie. I'm like the ghost of Tom Joad. I'm everywhere. Um, You can also find me here on the Trek FM network on Stage 9 with uh, Mike Schindler talking about Star Trek creators when they're not creating Star Trek. Although I will say that recently... Uh, We just did a commentary track for Living Witness uh, because it's an episode of Voyager written by uh, Brian Fuller, and that is a lot of fun. So go ahead and check that out. And you can also find me over on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast on the Nerd Party Network that I do with Matt Rushing. Uh, It's a little weekly show that we do. It's a lot of fun. And you can find me on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig where we – we embrace a larger view of the Force and maybe play with the dark side a little bit. I don't know.
0: I would say you play with the dark side a lot, but that, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so. I would say I'm containing the dark <laughs> side, personally.
0: <laughs> that makes more sense, yeah. You can find me, of course, here on the network with uh, Chris Jones doing the Orb. You guys have already mentioned the other places i on literary tracks uh, and, of course, aggressive negotiations there in the Nerd Party Network. I love being in all those places. Of course, I'm on Twitter at matt rushing zero two. And uh, if you are so inclined, uh, you can join John and I over on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm M. Rushing there. And uh, we like to rate the movies that we see and those kind of things. So that's a really fun place to be. We've got a few hosts from the network that are on there. Uh, and so Rushing 2 on there. Uh, and um, I also have a, a personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. You can check out as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the force be with you.